Good morning, everyone. We're continuing in our series of messages from the Gospel of John, and we're at the point where the message who became flesh is communicating his message through the events of the cross. We're in chapters 18 and 19 uh, of the Gospel. And uh, before I dive into the passage, and I'm going to warn you, uh, the passage is long, So I'm going to be channeling an auctioneer this morning, Um, and we'll try to get through it in a reasonable amount of time, but there's really no good way to split this this text up. Most of you drive, right? Uh, So uh, there are a couple of things you need to be able to drive. You need a driver's license. What's the other thing you need to have on you? Insurance, right? In case you happen to run over something or scratch something or do something, uh, that way you can make sure that you can cover any damages you might have caused. Now, it's not optional, right? It's not uh, something for a select few. Uh, It's everybody has to have insurance. Now, suppose you have your driver's license, you want to drive, but you're, you're still on the fence about this whole insurance thing. I mean, yeah, you, maybe you, it sounds like a great idea that we should all carry this insurance, but you're just not quite convinced that it's for you. You know, I mean, and maybe you even admit that those who carry insurance, wow, that is outstanding, that is laudable, that is uh, worthy of praise. I, I think those are the best people in the world, but it's just not for me. Maybe you're still on the fence about it when you're driving down the road and you see in your rearview mirror red and blue lights. And you know, the cop pulls you over and he's going to say, please show me your license and uh, proof of insurance. What do you think he's going to say if you tell him, you know, I think it's awesome that people have insurance. I have the highest possible regard for people who carry insurance. It's just not for me. I just personally don't really feel uh, compelled to carry insurance. What's the cop going to say to that? Is he going to say, oh well in that case, on your way. Try to drive a little more carefully. Uh, No, he's not going to say that. Because there are some things that are just the same for all of us. Doesn't matter what your personal opinion about it is, you're going to either carry it or not, right? That's kind of the situation Pilate faced in the passage we're looking at today. We are in John chapter 18. I'm going to start in verse 28. We're going to go all the way through chapter 19, verse 22. And I have titled today's message, The Inevitable Choice. So let's dive right in. Verse 28. Then they're leading Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium. It was dawn, and they did not enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So uh, we're continuing the story, and what we're going to be looking at today is Jesus' encounter with Pilate. I love John's gospel because he focuses in on several of these one-on-one encounters with Jesus. Uh, Think of, for example, Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night and the conversation they have. 
Uh, think about Jesus encountering the woman in Samaria beside the well of Sychar uh, and the conversation they have. We're going to look now at the conversation Pilate and Jesus have. Uh, it's within the broader context of the Jewish leaders trying to get him crucified. But I think the focus in John's heart is he wants the readers to put themselves in the shoes of Pilate. He knows as he writes this gospel, probably in the years 80, 90, somewhere late in the first century most likely, that many of the people who are going to be reading his gospel are not Jews. They don't know the first thing about Jewish uh, scriptures, the messianic expectations, and they're just maybe for the first time reading in this gospel about Jesus. He really wants these people, and some of them might be like Pilate, well uh, woven into the political structures of the Roman Empire. What would somebody like that think of Jesus? And I think John really wants his readers to identify with Pilate and say, okay, uh, let me put you face to face with Jesus. What are you going to do with him? And as we look at Pilate, I think that's a great way to look at this whole text. Um, John tells us many more details about this conversation than any of the other gospel writers do. <clears throat> uh, he gives us details that others mention, that it's dawn, and this is the way the Romans did their business. Uh, Roman officials liked to start at sunup so that they could be done with their official business by 10 a.m., maybe noon, and they're done. They're taking care of everything, and they have the rest of the day to themselves. So it was customary for them to start at dawn with hearing cases and that kind of thing. So uh, they've been trying Jesus all night, building the case against him, and John doesn't get into all of that. The other Gospels do what they're doing at Caiaphas's house. But in the morning, Pilate, as soon as he's opening the door, uh, there they are, ready to bring Jesus before him. Now, here's one of the very interesting differences <clears throat> between John's gospel and the other three gospels. The other three gospels seem to uh, indicate that the day before, uh, well, that, that the, the, the day before Jesus is crucified was actually the Passover. In the Synoptic Gospels, they're talking about that day leading up to the Lord's Supper as the day of preparation. John has the day of preparation happening on the day Jesus is being crucified. So there's a one-day difference between the two accounts. <clears throat> Some people uh, kind of pick, you know, Team Synoptic or Team John, you know. Some people say John got it right, the others got it wrong. Some people say uh, the other. Perhaps there really isn't a conflict, perhaps, uh, and given that the P Passover was determined based on the lunar events, uh, sometimes there is evidence that some Jews would celebrate it slightly differently than others, and maybe Jesus and his people from Galilee uh, had celebrated the Passover meal the, the evening before everybody else in Jerusalem was celebrating it, which would explain why there's no mention of a lamb because the sacrifices of the lamb at the temple were not happening until the next day. Uh, if that's the case, then Jesus is being crucified on the same day that all of the lambs are being sacrificed, if, if John's accounting of events is right. And I, I tend to believe that that is the case, that there may be some discrepancy in details, uh, but not necessarily a contradiction. Uh, so uh, he... he 
brings us into this and sets the stage for us. They've come to the Praetorium, uh, which, you know, Herod had built two places where he might be. The Antonia Fortress, which was like a military garrison right there on the Temple Mount, and then another uh, palace. It's more likely that he was at the other palace. Um, And they come to him there to bring their case, and we're told that they don't want to go inside because going into a Gentile's home, a Gentile who eats pig, who does all these other things and is in a state of constant ritual contamination, they could become contaminated just by walking into that house and then they could not celebrate the Passover meal that evening. So they didn't want to miss out on that. It's interesting how careful they are to observe all the religious uh, rules as they're trying to figure out how to kill the Messiah. Let's keep on, verse 29. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If this one were not doing evil, we would not have handed him over to you. So Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, It is not allowed for us to put anyone to death, that Jesus' word might be fulfilled which he spoke indicating what kind of death he was about to die. It's an interesting, and this whole passage, we're going to be in two contexts. Pilate outside dealing with the religious leaders, and Pilate inside talking to Jesus. They're two different places. In the synoptics, it kind of gives the impression that it's all happening in the same place. But it's very clear that he's moving back and forth between the two. And with the outside group, there's hostility the whole way through. With, the in, with inside with Jesus, there's a very different tone. But clearly Pilate uh, and the Jewish religious leaders, uh, there's no love lost between these. Uh, and historically we know that. Other historians have said that, that Pilate was not loved by the Jewish leaders. <clears throat> and uh, he didn't love them either. So he comes out, and the first thing he says, so what's the accusation? It's kind of odd if he already authorized Roman soldiers to go help arrest him that he didn't have some indication. And perhaps his feigned ignorance uh, gets under their skin because their response is kind of defensive, right? If you weren't doing something bad, we wouldn't have bothered you with him. Uh, And already you can tell the tone is set. These guys don't like each other. Uh, And he wants to dismiss the case. You guys take care of it. And they say, no, uh, you Romans don't let us kill people. We're not allowed to carry out capital punishment. There are occasions when mob violence would lead to the killing of somebody, but in Jewish circles that was done by stoning, as in the case of Stephen. Uh, The Romans didn't sanction that, but sometimes they would kind of allow it uh, or, or let it happen. But definitely they're not looking for just that. They're not content to stone Jesus. They want to see him on a cross. They want it official. They want the Romans to do this. And they want him to die by the most humiliating possible way. In a way that the Jews themselves, based on their interpretation of Deuteronomy, would say, places Jesus under God's curse. I guess they figured that was the way to guarantee that people would uh, reject him as the Messiah. And Jesus has already said that's how he's going to die. I'm going to be lifted up. Uh, And he's already said that earlier in the gospel. Let's keep reading in verse 33. So Pilate entered the praetorium again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? 
Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord? Or did others talk to you about me? Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests deliver you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my officers would have been fighting so that I would not be delivered over to the Jews. So now my kingdom is not from here. So, very different tone inside. Pilate is, goes back inside, has Jesus brought before him, and now it's obvious, even though they haven't said anything about this, <clears throat> that Pilate is aware of the accusation. They're accusing him of being some kind of an insurrectionist, of causing some problem for Rome. He's leading people astray, and this is ultimately going to cause problems for him, so he needs to get rid of him. That's the argument they've been making. So he asks him, are you the king of the Jews? He knows what they're trying to say. Jesus, as he so often does with people, doesn't say what people are wanting him to say. <clears throat> he says what they need to hear. <clears throat> Jesus doesn't answer the question. He actually <clears throat> asks Pilate a question. He says, is this your own question? Or are you just parroting what somebody else told you about me? Notice what Jesus is doing here. Pilate is right now having a one-on-one -on -one audience in front of the most important person he is ever going to encounter in his whole life. And before they get into this conversation, Jesus encourages Pilate to take a step back and ponder for a moment who it is that's before him. Don't just uh, assume what you have been told about me. Do you have questions about who I am? Where is your interest in me? This is your chance. This is your audience before the King of Kings. And are you just going to carry on by what other people have said about me? Or are you going to take advantage of this and discover who I am? What is your own take? Pilate does not want to get dragged into this. He doesn't want to get brought into this. He doesn't want to think about who Jesus is. He just wants to get this thing done as quickly as possible and go on about his business. He does not want to make a decision about Jesus. So he throws it off by saying, I'm not a Jew, am I? <clears throat> I have no messianic expectations. I don't bother to read the books of Moses. I don't care about Hebrew scriptures or law. <clears throat> I have zero interest in any of that. So keep me out of it. Of course, Jesus has been saying all along that he came for the world. He came for the cosmos. He didn't just come for Jews. He came as much for Pilate as he came for anybody else. So just, I'm not a Jew, am I? This is a problem between you and your Jewish leaders. They're the ones who brought you to me. So he tries to steer the conversation away from actually figuring out who it is that he's before right now and bring it back to the arena where he feels like he's in control of the situation. What have you done? What are the charges against you? How have you made these people so angry? 
<clears throat> and now, Jesus answers his first question. Are you the king of the Jews? He says, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this cosmos. That is the, the word in Greek for world, but think in the ancient mindset, world is everything. You have the earth, you have the sky. In the sky, you have all the constellations and all the whatever is up there. So to them, world is everything. They had no concept of planets and galaxies and all that. They, when they said world, they did not mean planet. They meant everything. My kingdom is not of this universe. I come from beyond. If it were, my people would be fighting to keep this from happening. But they're not. I haven't let them. You know why? Because my kingdom is not one of the things you guys call kingdoms. I think we as Christians need to remember that about the kingdom of God. We're never going to establish the kingdom of God here using the political means of the kingdoms of this world. It's not the same thing. My kingdom is not from here. And Jesus demonstrated throughout his whole ministry, he had, he had zero interest in getting involved in the kingdom-building efforts of this world. They tried to make him king earlier in the Gospel of John. He went away. When they were arresting him, Peter pulled out his sword and said, let's bring it, let's fight to the death, let's win this. Jesus said, put that sword back. His kingdom is something that is far beyond any of the things we're messing with here. And even the Roman kingdom is just one more blip in the history of the world. One more kingdom that rose and fell. Right when you're in the middle of it, it seems like the most important thing in the world. But Jesus has a different perspective. Verse 37 then Pilate said to them, to him, so you are king. Jesus answered, you say that I am king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, that I may bear witness to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth heeds my voice. Pilate says to him, truth? What's that? Now, Jesus talks about kingdom, and Pilate says, aha, there he did it. If you talk about kingdom, clearly you're claiming to be a king. So he says, aha, got you. You just claim to be a king. This is where Jesus says the thing that is quoted in the synoptic gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that Pilate asked him, are you king of the Jews? And he said, you say that I am king? Notice that the other gospels have kind of omitted part of the conversation. I think it makes a... a, a more sense in the broader context of the conversation why he comes to this point you say that I am king and again Jesus is pushing back on Pilate think of the words that are coming out of your mouth and who stands before you what is your evaluation of me forget what other people have been telling you you have me in front of you right now you have just said I am king ponder that for a moment not just you claim to be king, but you are king. 
And he talks about his kingdom. This is the reason I have been born. The reason I came into this cosmos from outside of it. I came here to bear witness to the truth. I came here to not only communicate truth, the truth, but to call those who belong to the truth to myself because everyone who belongs to the truth is going to heed my voice. And again, what we have here is Jesus offering Pilate an invitation to become a disciple. Are you interested in discovering truth? I have come from beyond to stand before you and bear witness to the truth. If you are interested in truth, heed my voice. This is Pilate's golden opportunity. His response is very cynical. And this is the life Pilate has built for himself. He's a Roman politician who's come up through the military ranks. And for him, it's about comfort, it's about power, it's about wealth, and securing and guarding that. And he's done an okay job at this. He's not the most powerful man in the world, but certainly in this little area of the world, he's one of the most important. And all he's encountered in his years of political maneuvering is lies. Everybody lies, everybody manipulates, everybody deceives and twists things around to their advantage. And he says, there's no such thing as truth. You might as well talk about leprechauns and fairies and unicorns. There's no such thing. What are you talking about? Of course there is. And he was being given an invitation to discover something he had never known. Jesus asked Pilate to consider whether his thoughts on him were supplied by others or were his own. Let me ask you, is what you know about Jesus based on him or what others have told you? And why does that matter? I would suggest to you that the Gospels have been written to give us a direct account of Jesus as he presented himself in his own words and actions. You have an opportunity to discover who is if you will listen rather than taking everybody else's word for it. Find out yourself who he is. We're finishing verse 38 of chapter 18. And having said this, out again to the Jews and tells them, I find no ground for an accusation against him. But it is a custom with you that I should release to you one prisoner at the Passover. Do you want then for me to release to you the king of the Jews? Then they shouted again saying, not this one but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was an insurrectionist. So then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged severely. And the soldiers, weaving a crown of thorns, placed it on his head and put a purple robe on him. And they were coming up to him and saying, Hail, the king of the Jews. And they were slapping him. And Pilate came outside again and tells him, See, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I do not find a single ground for accusation against him. Then Jesus came outside wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe 
and he tells them, Behold the man! So when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify! Crucify! Pilate tells them, You take him and crucify! For I find in him no ground for accusation! Then Jesus answered him, I'm sorry, the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to the law he ought to die, because he made himself son of God. After the encounter with Jesus, Pilate goes back outside. And uh, the first thing he tells them is, guys, there's no case here. This guy is clearly, I've dealt with zealots, I've dealt with insurrectionists, I've got one of them in prison right now. Uh, I know what they look like, this is not him. I don't know what this guy is, but he's not a troublemaker the way you guys are trying to present him to me. But he knows, okay, you brought him, uh, let me give you an easy way out where you can kind of save face. And you can be viewed by the people as having won, uh, won against Rome. How about we just dismiss the charges, I release him, and you guys can tell everybody that you got him released. Every Passover I release a prisoner. Win-win. I'm done, it's early, you know, 9 o'clock, I'm done for the day. Uh, and you guys get to parade around and tell everybody how great you are. You got Jesus off the hook when I was about to get him in trouble. He thought that would work, but he underestimated how hard they'd been working to get him killed. They, they didn't want Jesus off the hook. They wanted him dead. And this was not at all what they wanted from Pilate, so it didn't work. Um... In fact, they demand that Barabbas be released. And there's a lot of irony in that. Barabbas is not really a name. Uh, it's more of a, a, a description. Uh, you know, Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah. Barabbas is son of the father. Which is very ironic because throughout the whole Gospel of John, Jesus has been talking about God the Father and of himself as the only son of the Father. He is the true Son of the Father. And the Jewish people who had been promised the coming of Emmanuel, God with us, the coming of the Son of God, have not, no interest in him. They want him gone. They want another guy who has the false title, Son of the Father. <clears throat> They're accusing Jesus of being an insurrectionist, which Pilate knows he's not. Instead, they ask for the release of an actual bona fide insurrectionist. That word, insurrectionist, could also mean thief or brigand, somebody who assaults people to take stuff from them, but it's also used often to describe uh, some of the more uh, zealous uh, resistors of Rome at this time. So Pilate tries a different tech. Okay, you guys don't want to take what I've offered. You're not jumping all over that, okay. Let me remind you how cruel we Romans are and how whimsical we can be about meeting out cruelty. I have just told you all that he's completely innocent. Let me beat him severely. The Romans had three levels of, of uh, scourging people. Each 
was more severe than the one before. The, the word used here uh, applies to the third level, the most severe of the floggings. This is the kind that where they use the cat of nine tails, you know, the whip that had nine strips of leather with little bits of metal or bone at the end of each strip so that when you hit it, it was like getting hit by nine whips at a time and it would catch and tear as they pulled. We have descriptions of people receiving this kind of flogging and dying just from the flogging of bones being exposed, entrails uh, coming out because of the severity of this kind of beating. Pilate is doing this to somebody he's just said is absolutely innocent. If that's not a, a great example of how abusive the Roman authorities are, I don't know what is. Not only that, but they ridicule Jesus as the expression of messianic hopes of the Jews. They call him the king of the Jews and they put this crown of thorns on his head and they put this purple robe on him and mock bow to him while they slap him. And then this is what Pilate brings out to them. This Jew, this Jewish rabbi loved by the people utterly torn to pieces and humiliated. And he says, this is what he says when he parades him out. See, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I do not find a single ground for accusation against him. Guess what? I just did this to him because I wanted to. And Pilate is trying to stir some nationalistic pride from the Jews. And for them to say, you know what? Enough of us Jews have suffered under the boot of Rome. Stop it. And he's hoping that humiliating Jesus in this way will get them, uh, will satisfy them. And they will say, okay, that's enough. Stop making fun of us because we're expecting God to bring a king. Behold the man. But it's not enough. They don't just want to see Jesus beaten and humiliated. They want to see him dead. And they want to see him dead on a cross because they know, according to Deuteronomy, anybody who hangs on a cross is cursed by God. And they think that that is going to prove that they have denied Jesus' messiahship. And that will convince everybody that Jesus is not God's messiah because how could God ever curse his own promised king? Crucify, crucify, and Pilate said, you guys do it. And of course, he knows that they can't. It's just frustration. And he says it a third time, I find no ground for an accusation. So finally, they change the, the accusation. They use the accusation that would be more convincing to Jews. He blasphemed. According to our law, he claimed to be son of God. He claimed divinity and therefore he must die. Pilate tried desperately to stay out of it. He didn't want to kill Jesus. He didn't want to put his faith in him. He just wanted to push him out of his life and have nothing to do with him. How do people still try to do the same with Jesus today? Maybe you're one of those. Let's keep reading. We're in chapter 19, verse 8. So when Pilate heard this word, he feared even more. And he went into the praetorium again and says to Jesus, Where are you from? 
But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate says to him, you won't speak to me? Don't you know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus replied, you would have no authority at all over me if it had not been given to you from above. That is why the one handing me over to you has a greater sin. Pilate's worst fears are confirmed. He knows he's been before Jesus and he has this kind of soul-deep reaction that so many had when they came before Jesus. This is not just some guy. This is not just some lunatic. There is something about him. He is the real deal. And I'm not real sure what that means, but I know I don't want to be the one who's his enemy. We're told in the other Gospels that while he's judging Jesus, his wife sent word to him and said, have nothing to do with that righteous man. I have suffered today much in dreams because of him. Everything was confirming to him that this Jesus that's before him is the real deal. This isn't just some political thing. This is something bigger. And when he runs back inside again to talk to Jesus, he's scared. Now, he doesn't know about there being just one God. But he lives in a world and in a, a, a thought place where there are a lot of gods. Maybe he's some God who's come from wherever the gods live and come down to us. And I definitely don't want to get in trouble with the gods. Where are you from? You said you have come into the world. Where did you come from? What kind of God are you? <clears throat> Jesus doesn't answer. Pilate is desperate. What do you mean? You're not talking to me? Don't you realize what's going on here? I am right now in the process of deciding whether you live or die. And Jesus very calmly says, you couldn't decide anything at all if that had not been granted to you from above. The only reason you have a decision to make at all is that God chose to put you in this position. You're here because of God. I'm not here because of you. He flips everything upside down for Pilate. And he says, that's why the one handing me over to you has a greater sin. I don't know if he's talking about Judas who delivered him because of greed or the Jewish authorities who delivered him to protect what they had. That's basically what Pilate is in the process of doing. He's trying to protect what he's built, his political life, his comfort. And he, when he sees Jesus as a threat to that, he will deliver Jesus to be crucified. Jesus is not saying that Pilate is not culpable for that, for condemning an innocent man to death, and for choosing himself over what he should be doing in the position he's in and meeting out justice. For all of those things, he's culpable. What he means to say is that these Jews who have brought me to you, who know that I am the promised Messiah, that I am the Son of God, it has been demonstrated not only in my words, but in my actions, that these are the words and actions that correspond to everything you know about God the Father. 
And it is evident if you don't believe because of my words, believe because of my actions. It's all the same thing. Believe because it's obvious who I am. Well, they saw all of that. They knew all of that. And still, they wanted to destroy it. The betrayal that they are carrying out. People who knew who Jesus was, who knew the background, who knew what God had been talking about and promising for century upon century, those people have a much greater guilt. This is the most heinous act in the history of creation. And Jesus indicates that compared to that, what Pilate's about to do is just one more petty politician covering his butt. That's all he's doing. And it's wrong, it's absolutely uh, worthy of condemnation, but uh, he's not aware of what everybody else that's involved in this is aware of. From then on, Pilate was trying to release him. But the Jews cried out saying, If you release this one, you are no friend of the Caesar. Every person who makes himself king speaks against the Caesar. So Pilate once he heard these words, brought Jesus outside and sat on the judgment seat in the place called Stone Pavement, Gabbatha in Aramaic. Now it was the preparation for the Passover. It was about noon. And he tells the Jews, Behold your king! Then they shouted, Out with that one! Out! Crucify him! Pilate says to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he handed him over to them so that he might be crucified. So they took Jesus, and bearing his own cross, he went out to the place called the Place of the Skull, which is called Golgotha in Aramaic, where they crucified him, and with him two others on this side and that, with Jesus in between. Pilate uh, continues to try to release him, desperately trying to get rid of him, until they say something. They threaten him. If you release this guy, you are no friend of Caesar. Now that title, friend of Caesar, was something that Caesar would sometime bestow on people, and it carried weight. Maybe that's something that somehow he had managed to get, the title of friend of Caesar. And they say, uh, if you let Jesus go, Basically, we have brought to you somebody under accusations of claiming to be king, somebody the Caesar has not established as legitimate king, which means he's an insurrectionist. If we tell the Caesar this about you, he's going to say, wait a minute, <clears throat> Pilate's not protecting my interests in Judea. And what we know historically... Uh, Pilate is in a very delicate position right now. It depends. We're not positive exactly which year it was that Jesus was crucified. But if it was A.D. 33, as a lot of people think, uh, that means Pilate's in a delicate situation politically. <coughs> Pilate himself was of equestrian rank. Uh, normally people in his level of responsibility were higher rank than that. They would be maybe from the senatorial rank. But he was just an equestrian uh, within the ranks of the military. Uh, the reason he had risen to this position of leadership, being procurator over Judea, was that he was a close friend of a guy named Sejanus. 
And Sejanus was very close to Emperor Tiberius. So apparently that's his point of connection. That's what got him the job. But here's the thing, Tiberius starts getting paranoid and worried that people are conspiring against him and he decides that Sejanus is no longer on his side and he removes him from office in AD 31. And Tiberius moves off to the island of Crete, uh, of Cyprus, I'm sorry, and he's kind of isolated there trying to protect himself from uh, enemies. This is the climate. If we're in AD 33, then it's been a couple of years since this happened. His big point of connection to the emperor is gone under suspicious circumstances. And uh, who is now speaking up for him in front of the emperor? So this accusation, this threat, we're going to tell the Caesar that we brought an insurrectionist to you and you let him go. That is a very real threat for Pilate. He knows very well that that could easily cost him his job if not more than that. Um, but he's still trying. Um, he does bring him out. He's ready to hand him over to be crucified, but he tries a couple of final times. Behold your king. Here it is. Rome again mocking your messianic hopes. And they, they, they insist, no, get him out of here. Crucify him. And he says again to them, you want me to crucify your king? And they say, we have no king but Caesar. The chief priests say that. Now, you know, every Jew understood that the, the king, the true king of Israel was God, Yahweh. There might be other human kings on a lesser position that were over them, but they understood that the ultimate king above them all as the people of God was God himself. What they say here is not just Caesar is the legitimate king that God has placed over us. They say we have no king but Caesar. They are basically rejecting God's kingship over them. And isn't the whole history of Israel a review of the constant bent among the Israelites to reject God as their king? Yet again, we have another expression of that. We have no king but Caesar. He's the guy who keeps them all obscenely wealthy as they are living their lives there in Jerusalem. And they're going to do everything they can to secure that. They are going to convince Caesar that his interests are their interests. <clears throat> so, finally, Pilate relents and delivers Jesus to be crucified. When confronted with their rejection of Jesus, the Jewish religious leaders claim to have no king but Caesar. Even though they claimed God was their true king. What are ways in our own lives that we show that God is not the true king, despite what we may claim? Let's finish, verses 19 through 22. Now Pilate also inscribed a title and put it on the cross. Here is what was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Therefore, many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, in Greek. 
Then the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, Don't write, the king of the Jews, but that this one said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. There's one final act of defiance from Pilate to these religious leaders. He has this title put on the cross, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. And Pilate wants the world to know that the reason Jesus is hanging on that cross is that he is the King of the Jews. That the religious leaders of the Jews brought him and had him crucified because he was the king of the Jews. That's the only reason he's hanging there. That these people did not want the king that they had. Their true king they rejected. We're told that a lot of people read it. He put it in three languages, made sure everybody could read it. And the Jewish, the chief priests know a little bit about what Pilate's doing here because they go back to him and say, wait a minute. Don't say that. Don't say he's being crucified because he is the king of the Jews. Say that he claimed to be king of the Jews. He said he was, but he isn't. Pilate said, no. I'm going to leave it just the way I wrote it. I put exactly what I wanted on that cross. It may seem here that Pilate is siding with Jesus, defending Jesus in some way. But you know, ultimately, this is a tragic picture of two different ways to reject Jesus. Pilate was a sympathizer. He thought Jesus was good. He thought he was absolutely innocent. He thought he was the legitimate king of the Jews. He was the Messiah they were waiting for. He understood that he was otherworldly. All this. But when it came down to it, he had to decide whether he would heed the voice of the one who came bearing witness to the truth or he would protect what he had. And he chose to protect what he had. He chose to hang on to what he had, even though it was crap, even though it was miserable, even though it was just maneuvering and fighting and scraping to stay alive in the hostile political world of the Roman Empire. That's what he had, and that's all he wanted. And he clung to it. And yes, he tried to uh, show his outrage at the Jewish leadership and uh, to uh, demonstrate to them that he knew what was going on, but ultimately he had rejected Jesus. He had a chance and rejected him. The others had this hostility, enmity, open opposition to Jesus. That's another way to reject Jesus. But you know what? The end result of either one of those is exactly the same. Just sympathizing is not enough. What Jesus has come to do is bear witness to the truth and you either fall on your face before that and claim him as Lord and Savior. Or you reject him. And you can say the nicest things you want about him. But it's still the same. It's still rejection. Just the way Pilate so long ago was faced with a decision about Jesus. We today are faced with the same decisions. 
We have to make a decision about him. He came into the world to bear witness to the truth. And the fact that you hear his name and you have his word available to you is, means that you are responsible for responding to that information. You can't claim ignorance. And all the good intentions in the world, all of the uh, sincerest forms of sympathy mean nothing. <coughs> you may say, I have no problem with Jesus. Christians are some of my best friends. That's not going to do you any good. He's come from above to lead us into truth. His very presence demands a response. And to put the decision off is to say no. To try to find the way to nicely escort Jesus out of our lives and make no commitment at all regarding him for good or ill <coughs> is not <coughs> going to work. That is rejection. And today is the right time to take a stand. <coughs> to draw the line in the sand and say to the world, this is where I stand. Will you belong to the truth? Will you heed the voice of Jesus? We're going to have a song and this is a time for you to respond to God's word today. You know in your heart of hearts whether Jesus is the absolute Lord of your life or not whether you have fallen before him as your God and Savior or you simply think of him as a nice guy. You are presented with the choice. You need to make the decision. Forget what other people have told you about him. What are you going to make of Jesus? I want to challenge you if you've never surrendered your life to him to do that today to come to know him and become one of those who heed the voice of the one who has come to bring to us truth. Let's all stand. We've got some areas at the back on either side uh, and there'll be people on either side there to welcome you and, and just come and share whatever God's put on your heart this morning and let them pray with you and encourage you. And if, if you need it, they, they will help you pray and ask Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior. We're opening the altar as well. If you just need to come forward and kneel and pray, do that during this time. This is your time to respond to the Word of God. Come while we sing.